Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Guys, and welcome to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is the final edition of the 2020 season, which means it's time for the Heel Tough Blog Podcast Awards Show, where we will hand out our awards for the 2020 season. And uh, it was definitely an exciting one, buddy. This was one that uh, Carolina came in with some heavy expectations. Um, but as most people said in the poll that we put out that we allowed the fans to vote on, uh, this is seen as a successful year for Carolina football, something for a little while that we were questioning whether or not it would actually be. Yeah, I thought for the longest time that 2015 year would be the most fun year I ever had being a Tar Heel football fan. I think this year kind of exceeded that because you got to go to the Orange Bowl and play a New Year's Six Bowl game. You were playing in marquee matchups. Really like the last half of the year, every game for Carolina was a pretty big one. And that feeling was a good one. And that's something that I think we're starting to get used to again with Matt Brown coming back and it's complete his second year that big time football is here in Chapel Hill. It's going to be here until he uh, he decides to retire once again. But, uh, no, it was a successful season because of the way they finished the season. And I made that known after the Wake Forest win that if they finished strong, you can say you made progress. You won eight games more than last year. You made a New Year's Six Bowl game for the first time since New Year's Six was around and the first time you played in a major bowl game in 71 years. So if, if you don't think this was a success, you're wrong. Well, and not to mention the fact that Carolina also was very competitive with Notre Dame, was mm-hmm. in that game for most of the way, and uh, really started to show some improvement on the defensive side of the ball while continuing what we knew they could do on the offensive side of the ball. So we're going to get into that. We're going to, of course, talk a little bit about everything that Carolina is going to lose. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, just the team in general uh, through a lot of the discussions that we're going to be having about the awards. But we're going to go ahead and dive right into it uh, here off the bat. And, um, you know, we're going to save, you know, some of the more important awards for, uh, for for the end. So we're going to we'll start with some of the ones that are kind of on the back end. Some of the ones that we had you guys vote on later on, if you filled out our fan poll, which we are glad. Uh, we got 55 responses on that. Would have, of course, loved a little bit more interaction from the fans, but we really appreciate those who did interact. Uh, we thought that was a fun way to get you guys in on that. Next year, we'll probably go ahead and put those out right as the season ends, give you like a week or so to vote on it a little bit more. That was just something that kind of came uh, to me out of the blue. I thought maybe I would be able to make something up and got something up quickly for you guys. But let's start with the 2020 Comeback Player of the Year. Award. Carolina had uh, some guys that, of course, last year, especially in that secondary, got yeah. banged up, missed a good majority of time last year. Um, so we, you know, asked who you think your uh, 2020 Comeback Player of the Year for the Tar Heels should be this year. Um, we'll reveal the fan vote here in just a minute. We'll also have uh, that graphic will be on the bottom of the screen for you guys to check that out as well. But we're going to give you ours. If we uh, if we differ on them, uh, then we will turn to the fans. And if they uh, are the deciding vote, then we will hand it out to that person. If all three have different ones, then uh, I don't know how we're going to do it. We'll have to figure that out. But I don't know if that's going to be too much of an issue. But uh, so, you know, for this category, 
the three that I put, and of course, this was open to other people being able to jump in and put other names in, um, were Patrice Renee, of course, guy that, you know, of course, was, you know, supposed to start the season for Carolina a year ago, was suspended in 2009, in the first game of 2019, uh, due to the fight that happened to finish out the Larry Fedora tenure against NC State, comes back in the second half of that game, played well, played well in the first half of the game against Miami, Mac Brown's first uh, game back at home, and then of course tears his ACL, misses the rest of the season, ends up coming back for his fifth year in Chapel Hill this past year and had some nice production, stepped up for Carolina in some really key moments, 28 total tackles on the season, uh, really stepped up to have big games against NC State and Duke when Carolina needed him to play a big role after some injuries sort of set in with guys like Storm Duck and even Kyler McMichael. He stepped up and had a nice, uh, a pretty productive season for him, uh, which turns out to be his final in uh, in Chapel Hill. He's actually going to move on and transfer. Uh, the other guy that we had up there, Cameron Kelly from the secondary. Of course, you guys remember last year started his first career game against uh, the Clemson Tigers. Looked pretty good in that game, was in there due to injury. Uh, ends up tearing his ACL trying to tackle Trevor Lawrence. Yep. Ends up coming back this year, playing a decent role for a while for Carolina there, uh, especially once we saw Jaquarius Conley go down with an injury. They moved Trey Morrison back into the nickel after he played there in the game against Boston College. And you had Cameron Kelly alongside of Don Chapman trying to hold things down in the back end of that secondary. And then Chris Collins was the other guy that we put on there. Wasn't out because of injury, just took a year you know, to sort of get familiar with the system, took a redshirt year. That's what Mac Brown and the staff said. But he came back, was relatively productive, especially towards the end of the season. Really hate that he had to miss the Orange Bowl game because you felt like that was maybe a chance for him to establish a little more momentum uh, towards the end of the season. But those were the three guys that I could come up with. And uh, I think those are probably the group that we're going to go with. So uh, out of those three, who would be your comeback player? I went with Patrice Renee. You know, I know his production on the field didn't maybe warrant that, but I think his leadership off the field have really meant the most to this, this football team in that secondary. I don't know if Tony Grimes and Storm Duck and those guys look as good as they look out Patrice Renee in their ears, kind of being a pretty much a player coach for them because he was a more a reserve role. So I know he's transferring. I know he's leaving the program, but he was a big part of the growth of that secondary, which really turned the way the defense performed in the second half of the season. Yeah, you know, this is a tough one. I mean, look, I, I think both Patrice Renee and Cameron Kelly had really good seasons. I mean, Cameron. Uh, you know, had his struggles at times uh, when it came to helping uh, in the run game, but still was one of the top tacklers on this team with 55 on the season. Um, and really, you know, you could see towards the end of the year, once he was able to get back into his rotational role, he was really a little bit more comfortable there. It felt like, you know, early in the season, he had kind of been forced into a role that might have been just a little bit too big for him early on. But I thought he adjusted really, really well. Um, I'm going to go with Patrice Renee as well, though. I think Cameron Kelly, uh, you know, definitely – uh, had a productive year. I feel like he's a guy to keep an eye on for next year, but I think you're right. You look back at some of those games. I think that NC State game is the one you really look back at. If Patrice Renee does not play the way that he did in that game, that's probably a much closer game. There yeah. was a lot of injuries at that time. Carolina's secondary had gotten banged up, and this is a guy that has stuck through so many different things in his time being on campus to be able to fight back wasn't even 100% at the start of the season. We remember Mac Brown saying that in one of his first press conferences after the Syracuse game, that that was the reason we didn't see a whole lot of him to come back, play the role that he did, and be able to play it as well as he did. I think he deserves the comeback player of the year award, but Cameron Kelly, as we mentioned, a fantastic season uh, for him. How about your 2020 freshman of the year? I think this one, uh, you know, a lot of people were pretty boisterous on this one. Uh, you know, the fans uh, actually – meant to mention this fans did go with Cameron Kelly for their comeback player of the year uh so uh the fans were pretty heavily on Tony Grimes for freshman of the year 73 percent of the vote went to Tony Grimes in this one but I had Jaquarius Conley and Cayman Rucker both up there as well and I think despite what the fans are saying I think there's a little bit more of a conversation here than they would lead you to believe I think if Tony Grimes would have been on the field for much more than what he was, I think he would have been a slam dunk freshman of the year for this football team because the secondary was different the second he stepped on the field. And it shows you why he was a five-star prospect, why he had the confidence to go ahead and reclassify because he was supposed to be a senior in high school this year. As Kirk Christian told us that many times during the Notre Dame game, how he was supposed to be a senior in high school playing at the college football level and making an impact. Same thing with Cayman Rucker. Had he been on the field more, 
Because I think you look at what he did in limited production, you're really excited what he's going to do moving forward next year for the defense. Mm-hmm. But I think you got to go to Chris Collins because he has such a larger role. And for the most part, did as, much, did as well as you could ask a freshman could do in a COVID-19 season in the scheme as complex is, as Jay Bateman is. And he produced at a pretty good level for Carolina. The good news is, is that, you know, all three guys are on the, on the defensive side of the football. So as we're looking at next year, we know it's where Carolina's got to take the next step. This is why you're more confident. This, this defense next year will be more of a championship caliber defense and come out and win right. some of the games they lost this year. I mean, look, Josh Downs had a pretty solid year and, you know, the role that he yeah. had to play. But, I mean, you only had seven catches the entire season, 119 receiving yards. I just don't feel like he stacked up quite at the same level as these guys did. And there was an other section. Unfortunately, he didn't get any votes. But he'll be a guy that could be one of our breakout players for next year. Right. Uh, that will end up potentially handing the award to I, you know, I, I, first of all, I want to say this. Cayman Rucker, I think you, you got to – you. there's got to be a conversation here. I don't think enough people really gave him the respect that they needed to when they were voting on this. This was a guy that was ranked outside of the top 1,000 prospects in the country. And to come in as a true freshman, we've seen other guys that have done it later on in their careers, a couple years into their career. This guy as a true freshman was probably your best defensive line freshman, which is saying a lot considering you have highly rated guys like Des Evans on the defensive line. You had uh, Miles Murphy on the defensive line. Kedrick Bingley-Jones, of course, went down with an injury, but you had Clyde Pinder there as well. For him to come out and play as well as he did, as early as he did, cannot be discounted. And I think, you know, just about any other year, he probably would have taken this award home. Right. Um, Tony Grimes is, like you said, really interesting case because, yeah, towards the end of the year, he was probably one of Carolina's two or three best defensive players on the field. They did not. I mean, they tried to throw against him, and it didn't really work out. Uh, many times came down with his first career interception in the game against Miami. Uh, did not allow a catch in the Orange Bowl game uh, against Texas A&M. So uh, he definitely was really productive. But I'm going to go with you. I, I think, you know, we thought uh, when we handed the award out midseason, we said to ourselves, okay, we're going with Jaquarius Conley because, well, there just really haven't been, hasn't been anybody else that has really stepped up and right. had a great season. Cayman Rucker was just kind of rounding into form. We had seen a little bit of him. He really came to life in the second half of the season. And Jaquarius Conley was a guy that had a great start to the year, got injured, and then wasn't heard from until, you know, after the midway point of the season. But when he came back, uh, you it allowed, you know, Trey Morrison to move back to safety, uh, which opened up a little bit more flexibility for your secondary. And right. he really, really played well. He settled into that role perfectly. Uh, was able to make, you know, become a really solid tackler, made a couple of really nice plays in the open field, both against Miami and Texas A&M. Uh, still a guy that probably has to work a little bit on on his coverage ability, but I still think this is a guy that's definitely deserving of the Freshman of the Year award. I think he put just to get together just a little bit more complete of a season, but it's very, very close. A razor-thin margin, I'll give it to Jaquarius Conley as well. So now we'll move on to Coach of the Year. We got some really interesting uh, nominations here. Uh, again, you know, there is another spot, so you guys can put in whoever you want there. Uh, Mac Brown was put on here a couple of times. We're not going to count those. Mac Brown, when we say Coach of the Year, Mac Brown right. is not an option. Right. right. This is his coaching staff. We know that. If at Just about any year, you would pick the head coach. It's basically the assistant of the year. Maybe that's what we're going to do next year. That We'll, we'll end up changing the, uh, the phrasing of it. Um, but, you know, you look, uh, I think there's a couple of really good candidates. The three that I listed first were Phil Longo, of course, the offensive coordinator, also the quarterback's coach, had a really phenomenal year. This was a great offense for Carolina, probably the best uh, that they will see for even some time. It's going to be hard to really produce two 1,000-yard rushers, a 1,000-yard receiver, and have a quarterback that throws uh, for over 3,500 yards and four to, and uh, 30 touchdowns. But uh, you look, uh, you know, some of the other guys that we put up there, Jay Bateman, uh, you know, we definitely rounded into form as the season went along, was a guy that, you know, we had some question marks after. We talked a little bit about that on the last edition of the podcast that we did, uh, that, uh, you know, he, there were some questions as to whether or not his defensive scheme was actually working, if he had the right guys in place. Uh, as he started to rotate in some of the younger guys, we saw that that was uh, – that you know, he had those right guys in place and that we were probably wrong to question him at all and finish the season 
uh, extremely strong. And then Robert Gillespie, the running back coach for the Tar Heels, as we mentioned, two 1,000-yard rushers in the backfield, helped with the progression of Javante Williams, who, of course, uh, is now the single-season record holder for scrimmage touchdowns, passing Don McCauley during this season. Michael Carter, also huge, huge senior year for him, led the ACC in most rushing categories, and is still working on developing some of the younger backs that we saw in the backfield. Even, I mean, we saw... I think that was might have even been a bigger testament to how successful Robert Gillespie has been. Saw British Brooks start the game, uh, the Orange Bowl game against Texas A&M, and actually had some decent success for a guy that was a former walk-on. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think that those are three really good candidates. A couple other ones that were on there that people threw out there. Dre Bly got a, got a, a couple of votes as well. I think two for Dre Bly. Uh, actually, no, three, I believe, for Dre Bly. And then one for Tommy Thigpen as well, the co-defensive coordinator, getting a shout-out. So who would you go with? So you look at Phil Longo, um, I think the offense did what it was supposed to do. It took another step forward. The numbers are what they what, are what they should have been. So I don't think – I mean, did, you know, was there better stuff in the offense? Was the resident offense better this year from this first year? Absolutely. But that was the expectation. Defensively, had you not lost the games you lost at Florida State and Virginia, and your defense looked as bad in those games, then you had the Wake Forest – Tobacco, even though you still won the game, you still looked awful for the first 45 minutes or so of that game. So it's hard to pick those two guys. And you look at what Robert Gillespie did with Javante Williams and Michael Carter. How can you not go with those guys? How can you not go with them for the job he did with those two dudes? That's one of the best duos college football has seen in the modern era. They were getting compared to Reggie Bush and Lindell White. That's, Legitimate comparisons, yes, too. That's yes. goat status. That was maybe, you know, that's what you brought as the best running back tandem in modern era of college football. You're doing this in a spread era where it's supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to throw the ball around. You got Sam Howell and De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsom, but you got two All-American quality running backs in your backfield. And so I think you got to go with them because without without their production, I don't think Carolina has a season they have. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to say that this was totally expected for Phil Longo. These are record-setting numbers. I mean, this is they were, this is what they were supposed to do. You expected two 1,000-yard rushers, a 1,000-yard receiver, and a quarterback to throw for over 3,500. Matt Grouse, they wanted Oklahoma-style offense. This is what they – So I yeah. mean, I don't even think Oklahoma in recent years has had two 1,000-yard rushers to go along. I, I'm just saying, this is a – he took it to another level. This you was know, an extraordinary year. Had for he him, not screwed sure. up on the fourth and one call in the Orange Bowl, maybe he would yeah, have gotten the year award. But he, he proved once again that he's still not as smart as he needs to be, and he could still be potentially holding this team back. With some of his I'm not going to go that far. I mean, look, this this team went eight and three. If he doesn't call the game that he calls against Miami, this team definitely is that they probably would have lost that game. I'm not going to say this is not a guy that, as many Toriel fans want to make it seem, if he left, this offense would flow seamlessly without a problem. I don't think that there's just another guy that you can call in and all of a sudden this offense is going to be working. He needs. I think he Tom deserves Herman some would be credit. An upgrade. He deserves some credit. Well, I, I mean, I don't I don't really know. We have to – what is Tom Herman at this point now? I mean, we thought, you know, great offensive mind when he was there at Ohio State, but then you see what Ryan Day did when he came in there. It didn't really change. That offense may have even become better. Now Tom Herman back out there as a free agent. Haven't really seen a whole lot of people talking to him just yet. I'm not saying that I, I don't think he's better than Phil Longo. I really don't know how to judge that. It's been a while since we've seen Tom Herman – call an extremely efficient offense. I think it's a, his offense at Texas was not very good. I think anybody with eyes can see that. You should have been running the ball a lot more with the, talent, with the talented group of backs that you saw as the season progressed, as opposed to trying to turn Sam Ellinger into something that he wasn't, which is a Heisman-style quarterback. But, um, look, I don't think it matters. I don't think Tom Herman would be a guy that Carolina would pursue anyways. Maybe they would, but I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. Um, but I think Phil Longo definitely deserves a lot of credit. Jay Bateman, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think, you know, you look at the fact that he had some struggles middle of the season. Uh, there were still, you know, some bumps in the road, some setbacks before this team really took a step forward and became a better defense towards the end of the year. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I go with Robert Gillespie because, you know, this was the guy that I was saying, you know, when we were talking about this award even earlier in the season, I was saying this is probably going to be my guy unless something, uh, you know, th this group comes off the tracks. 
Because like you mentioned, I mean, you're talking about Javante Williams going from being a guy that barely even got a scholarship offer at Carolina to becoming one of the best running backs to ever play in the ACC if you just look at the 2020 season alone. Um, You know, Michael Carter, just a phenomenal year for him. Another guy that, you know, again, came in, was productive his first few years on campus, but really took it to the next level and developed in his final two years under Robert Gillespie. And then, uh, you know, as I said, British Brooks, DJ Jones, even in the the limited snaps that we saw him play, Uh, same thing with Elijah Green. Every running back seemed to be able to take the ball and make something happen with it. And that just, you got to credit Robert Robert Gillespie for what he's done, not only on the recruiting trail to get these guys here, but what he's done when it comes to developing these guys. Because Carolina's always had pretty legitimate running back coaches, but we've never really seen these guys be able to take steps forward. They've always come in. Elijah Hood really was the same guy when he came in that he was when he left. We saw so much more growth from guys like Javante Williams and Michael Carter to becoming the players that they were at the end. So, yeah, I go with uh, with Robert Gillespie, but a lot of guys that really had great seasons. I do think that I should have probably put him as one of the options without having to put other. I think Dre Bly deserves a yeah. lot of credit as well for what he was able to do with Tony Grimes, the, uh, you know, able to get Kyla McMichael into the starting lineup, and that was – pretty much a seamless transition for Kyler. He had a really good year as well. Um, but uh, yeah, look at the fan boat. They went with Phil Longo uh, over Jay Bateman, Robert Gillespie, not getting as much love as uh, we're giving him. Um, so the war will go to Robert Gillespie, but the fans are uh, definitely high on what Phil Longo did this season. So uh, how about we go to our breakout player of the year for the Tar Heels. One of the guys that's already received, received an award is on here. Jaquarius Conley. Uh, you know, really good year for him, as we mentioned, broke into the starting lineup uh, early on in the season, actually started uh, the first game of the season for Carolina, um, but uh, went down with an injury. Once he returned, though, had a couple of rough games where he was still trying to get himself back on track, but really settled in to have a great year. Uh, along with, uh, I put Kyler McMichael on there. I mean, I thought he had a really good season on the outside. You know, another guy that had to battle through some injuries midway through the season, but I thought for the most part had a really, really good year. You got to remember, this was a guy that some people were questioning how he was able to beat out Patrice Renee, yeah. and we found out why he did that once we got into the season, uh, as well as Kamari Fox. I listed him on there. Really good season for him. 46 total tackles, six tackles for loss, four uh, sacks on the season. Definitely, you could see, got worn down a little bit on the interior as the year went along, struggled a little bit. Uh, in run defense as he got later into the year, but still a guy that was really, really productive for Carolina on the defensive line. Fans threw out Tony Grimes in there as well, so we'll throw him into this conversation uh, after his tremendous freshman season. But who do you have uh, the breakout player of the year? Before I give my the guy, another thing about this award, all defensive guys, this is important when you start getting ready for 2021 and we start breaking down what Carolina can potentially be as, as a football team. they got to be better defensively. You've got a lot of guys that will be back in this scheme next year. It does appear Jay Bateman, of course, will be back as of right now. And all these guys we're talking about are going to be playing – uh, a major role for this team. So a lot like with the the, the defensive breakout player, we went Conley. You got to go Conley here because he has more to show than any other guy. I thought Tamari Fox started off the season fantastic. But as you mentioned, towards the middle of the year and the end of the year, he got worn down. Maybe he was just physically his body isn't ready for the amount of snaps he got. Maybe it's the talent level that he was seeing against whatever it was. Had he kept up that level of play from the first game to the Orange Bowl, I think there would have been a conversation for him. But his play significantly dropped off. And it's had Tony Grimes played more, I think, Maybe he'd have been an easy selection because he's going to be a trendy pick next year to be one of the best corners, not in the ACC, yep. but in college football. But for this season, you got to go to Twitter's Yeah, I, I think there's a really good case here for Kyler McMichael as well. Not a lot of people giving him right. you know, much respect there. Um, but, I mean, you look at what he did. He started the most games at any corner for the Tar Heels this season. Uh, really did a great job. I mean, if you look at the pa- at the – past defense statistics, you would say to yourself, well, how would we have anybody from our secondary up here? A lot of that was centered in the middle of the field where Carolina gave up a lot of yards, of course, uh, gave up a lot of yards when Jeremiah Gemmel was in coverage. Our outside corners did a really good job for the majority of the year. I'm going to go with Tamari, though. I think you look at, you know, he was a guy that started all year for Carolina. Uh, This was a guy that last year came in, started some games for the Tar Heels early in the year became a rotational player, was never really able to gain a really big role. Uh, But, you know, this year, I think one of the things that you got to realize with Tamari was he was tasked with a lot early on. This Mm -hmm. was, you know, both him and Raymond Boasek 
uh, you know, talking to Lee Pace uh, yesterday. Um, you know, the, he, he said, look, the reason that we didn't see that much rotation was because we didn't know a lot about these freshmen. This was not a typical offseason ahead of the 2020 season yeah. for Carolina. You didn't get to know a lot of these guys. So you had to work them in slowly and find out whether or not they were ready to play. So Tamari Fox and Raymond Bowasik, they played some of the – I mean, if I remember looking correctly on pro football focus, Tamari Fox in the top five of – defensive snaps played among defensive linemen. So this is a guy that played a lot. Yeah. He had a lot on his plate. He fought for most of the season. Again, you know, he stepped up. He had some games where he struggled primarily against some of the better offensive lines that he faced. But I still think he did enough that I'm going to give him the breakout player of the year award. Uh, so that means we'll turn to the fans, you the fans at home. And you gave it to Tamari Fox. 59.6% of you guys going with Tamari Fox. 30.8% for Jaquarius Conley. And then you come over to Kyler McMichael, just 5.8% of the vote. But uh, definitely a great season for all three of those guys. Uh, now we'll start getting into some of the bigger awards. Let's go to the defensive player of the year for the Tar Heels. This one uh, seems like it's probably relatively easy, I think, in a lot of people's minds. Seven, uh, we, we got uh, Chasserat, uh, first of all, the senior linebacker, of course, uh, another phenomenal year for him, led the team in tackles once again, didn't hit the 100 tackle mark this season, uh, but again, with a shortened schedule, that was something that was to be expected, uh, and you know, still a phenomenal year for him, uh, I mean, you look, even with the amount of missed tackles that he had to finish above 90 tackles, uh, still a really good year for him. Tamon Fox, the other guy uh, that uh, I think a lot of people were probably pretty high on uh, with his season, um, you know, finished with the team lead in sacks, seven sacks, 10 and a half tackles for loss. It's the second straight season with 10 and a half tackles for loss or more and seven and, and seven sacks or more uh, since Quentin Copels did it back in 2010, 2011. So it's been a while yeah. since Carolina has had a guy uh, that has been able to put up a season like that. But again, another guy that, you know, or another season for Taman where you just feel like there wasn't enough consistency there. Came out and burst, yeah. but still had a nice productive season for him. And then Jeremiah Gimmel, I put him up there second on the team in tackles. Once again, you know, leader in the middle for the Tar Heels. Uh, you know, struggled a little bit in coverage. I think that's probably the thing that might have hurt him the most when it came to uh, the voting for this. Uh, but definitely a guy that still had a really productive season for Carolina as part of a really solid uh, linebacker tandem that the Tar Heels have. Uh, you guys, uh, two two people did put Raymond Vohasek in there. Uh, also completely butchered his name uh, when they were putting it in there, but we're going to let that one go. Uh, but yeah, Raymond Vohasek, another guy. Uh, that a lot of people are uh, pretty high on uh, for his season. So we'll also throw him in there. But who is uh, who, who's your play, uh, defensive player of the year for the Tar in 2010? It's Chas Aran because it, I think it has to because he was the best defensive player of the year. If we would have done this after the Boston College, I think Trey Morrison would have been the easy answer because he was maybe the most impressive defensive player through the first two or three games of the season. It, his level of play didn't live up to that throughout the, the whole season, but 91 total tackles, seven and a half for loss, six sacks, interception, a fumble force, and a fumble recovery. He when when he was playing at a high level, this defense was different. Right. And he, you know, now he had some issues, especially when Carolina had their struggles in October where they were losing games where he was taking bad angles. He wasn't where he needed to be. But he got those cleaned up and you saw the defense take a, you know, take a step in the right direction to finish out the season. So it's Chasserat. Really excited to see what he'll do at the next level because he's going to be a fun guy for defensive coordinators to learn how to use. As Jay right. Bateman learned how to use him in different ways this year because you saw a lot more of him sometimes blitzing, sometimes dropping the coverage. He can do a lot, and Carolina's going to miss him a lot going into next season. He, he still played out of position. I think he's probably a 3-4 outside linebacker at the next level because of his ability to get after the quarterback. That was what he did best. Led all of college football the last two seasons in quarterback pressures. So that's the thing that I think definitely gives him the advantage to this award. That's something that is, you know, that's statistic you don't see a whole lot of, but this guy is as good as anybody in college football, especially linebackers at getting after the quarterback. That's what he did this year. Now you mentioned some of the open field problems that he had. I think that's just part of his game. He's a very instinctual player, like you said, early in the season. So he's a guy that at times he's just, you know, they, they say react, don't guess. That's not really how Chasserat 
plays the game. He's a guy that, you know, tries to be one step ahead of everybody. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But for the most part, it worked out at the college level. Very productive season yet again this year. And I just don't think we saw enough consistency from Taman Fox and Jeremiah Gimmel. There were some holes in their game, like we mentioned with yeah. Gimmel and coverage. And then Taman Fox, he was a guy that's, you know, still having some trouble being able to contain the edge in the run game. He gets pushed back off the line of scrimmage sometimes. Still a very productive guy, a guy that we're going to be happy to have back next year as part of this defense to try to be able to replicate what was an amazing year, which we got to mention this stat, by the way, 36 sacks. That's fifth in all of college football for Carolina, something that we didn't think we would see anytime soon. We thought right. that would take a while to get some of those guys in there. And a lot of the guys that were getting after the quarterback were the veteran guys. We're not even talking about the young guys being able to get to the quarterback this year. Um, so definitely have to give some credit to the leader of that group, Tamon Fox, but we're going to go, uh, I'm going to go with Chas Surratt as well. And you guys went with Chad Surratt uh, at, at home with the fan vote. Uh, 37 votes, 71% of the vote for Chad Surratt. 15.4% of the vote goes to Taman Fox. And then Jeremiah Gimmel with 9.6%. Let's move over to the Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, this one, I'm not going to lie. This kind of shocked me. There are four really good candidates for this award. I think all four of them, if they played separate from each other, probably would win this award just about any other year. You had Deami Brown, who came one yard short of 1,100 yards receiving, eight touchdowns again this season. But, again, just a deep threat that killed it for Carolina, 18.7 yards per catch this year. But that's the thing. Not a, you know When you look at those numbers, you would think, okay, this is a guy that's like what we saw from Matt Collins. That's pretty much his entire game. That's not what Deami Brown was. He also had some games where he stepped up, could play the role of a guy that just you know ran, the, ran an inside slant route to pick up a first down, did some things after the catch as well. Such a dynamic offensive player. Uh, so I think he definitely has to be recognized here. You got Sam Howell, of course, star quarterback for the Tar Heels, 3,586 yards passing this season, uh, threw for over 30 touchdowns, got himself going on the ground as well. That was something that, you know, was a big focus in the offseason was him losing a little bit of weight, being able uh, to get, you know, move out in space, try to add that element, especially down in the red zone. That was something that we hammered at the end of last year, yes. talked about early this year. If you could add that, it would make this team much more efficient. That's exactly what it did. Michael Carter, 12, uh, 1,245 yards on the ground this season, nine touchdowns, easily the most productive season of his career in both of those categories. Led the ACC in rushing this season, which is no small task considering the just pure amount of talent the yeah. ACC had this year at the running back position. I uh, also did it in the receiving game, over 200 yards receiving for him as well. And then Javante Williams. How can you not have this guy on there? Uh, just a tremendous season for him. 1,140 yards on the ground, 19 rushing touchdowns, uh, which is the second most in program history behind Don McCauley, but did break Don McCauley's record for scrimmage touchdowns in the season as he got to 23 with his four receiving touchdowns on the year. Also had, uh, I think, over 250 yards receiving as well. What an extremely productive year for all of these guys. But who do you give the edge to here and give the offensive player of the year award to? I think if you're breaking records that Don McCauley held for, in Chapel Hill for a long time, it's got to be that guy. So it's Javante Williams, as you mentioned, 1,140 yards rushing, 7.3 rushing average, 19 touchdowns. He broke the scrimmage touchdown record because he got more involved in the passing. So we talked about in the offseason he wanted to be more involved with in this year, and he did so, 25 catches, 305 yards. Four three scores. He was Carolina's heartbeat in terms of when they got into the red zone. And really, whenever you needed a play, a lot of times you were giving the ball to 25 and he was making that play. It's really unfair to all these other guys because Sam Howell had a fantastic sophomore season. Yami yep. Brown put it back to, you know, put back to back 1,000 yard seasons. Michael Porter led the ACC in rushing. And you mentioned that has Travis Etienne in the ACC. Kieran Williams from Notre Dame was in the ACC this year. Khalil Herbert from yeah. Virginia Tech. So, you know, season. a yep. lot of guys, he, he outrushed them all. But he had 22 touchdowns. It's got to be the guy that, that broke records. And whenever he played at a really high level, Carolina felt unbeatable. Yeah, I, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. 22 touchdowns was the mark. That's right. Three receiving touchdowns for him. Uh yeah, just, I mean, it's it's really tough because, I mean, we've got also the Player of the Year award here. Um, so, you know what, I'm going to give it to Sam Howell here. I think you look at the production that he had this year, 
there were a lot of expectations coming into the year for him. This was a guy coming off a freshman season that was comparable to Trevor Lawrence and Jameis Winston. Uh, and, you know, there were expectations that he was going to take another step forward this year. Some people were questioning what exactly a step forward this year would look like. And again, you look at the statistics, not as gaudy as a year ago, but you also have to remember that he probably would have had one more game to play and potentially two if Carolina had played a normal schedule, because that would have also meant that they probably would have been in the ACC Coastal. More than likely, they would have won that game if everything goes the way that it actually did. Carolina would have been playing for the ACC championship game if the divisions were still in place. So he would have had potentially two more games to get up there. I mean, you look at the performances that he had at times this year. I mean, the 550-yard, six-touchdown performance against Wake Forest almost single-handedly led Carolina to a victory in that one. His, you know, actually played a really great game in the Orange Bowl after a really slow start, not having Deami Brown in that game, really stepped up late, made a couple of really great big throws for Carolina, and still a guy that is as a as any quarterback in the country when it comes to the fourth quarter. If there's a guy that you need to lead a fourth quarter drive for you, it feels like Sam Howell is probably the best person in the country to do that for you. So I'll give it to Sam Howell. We'll let the fans decide this one. And they go with Sam Howell as well. 54.7% of the vote for Sam Howell, which I'm actually a little shocked by. Um, You got Javante Williams at 35.8%. Uh, Michael Carter uh, only received three votes, believe it or not, 55.7% uh, of the vote, and Deami Brown with 3.8% of the vote. We'll hand out our final award here, and then we'll uh, do some fun ones that we allowed you guys to vote on as well. Uh, who is the player of the year for the Tar Heels in 2020? So this is the entire team. Take Deami Brown off of this one right here. We, that was an option if you wanted to put him in there as other. Replace him with Chasserat, and it's pretty much the same three other guys that we just talked about. Really productive years for all of those guys. Who do you have as your player of the year for the Tar Heels here in 2000? It's Javante Williams. I don't, as I mentioned, I don't think Carolina has the season they had. I don't think they make the Orange Bowl without what he did on the football field from them both in the running game and the passing game. So, a lot of great candidates. Sam Howell, as you mentioned, great year. Chasser had another great year. Michael Carter had a hell of a year. But Javante Williams was this team's best player from the first game. And it's- So I, I'm going to reveal the fan vote here first. Uh, Sam Howell, 64.2% of the vote here. 32.1% going to Javante Williams. And then Chad Surratt receiving two votes for 3.8%. First of all, how Michael Carter did not receive a single vote is beyond me. Uh, the other thing is, is that the answer here is Javante Williams. I, I think that it's pretty clear. You look at everything that he did for this team. This Carolina team does not win some of the games that they won without the performance of Javante Williams. Who knows if they win that game against Miami again, you know, Michael Carter had a tremendous game himself. But you're also talking about a guy that was dominant against NC State, dominant against um, against Duke, four yeah. touchdowns in that game. This guy is one of the nation's top running backs. The fact that he wasn't in the Dope Walker Award running is pathetic. The fact that Travis Etienne made it over him is a joke. All that is is the fact that Travis Etienne had a more prestigious career Travis Etienne played for a team that was in the college football playoff and had been in the college football playoff for the last couple of years. Because if you look at the stats, they're not even close yeah. to comparing. 22 total tackle or total, 22 total touchdowns on the season, tied with Iowa State running back Brees Hall before he played in his bowl game. Uh, just one behind Najee Harris before Najee played in the SEC championship game. And then, of course, the college football playoff semifinal game. This guy had about as good of a year as you could have hoped for. And the other thing is, is that nobody saw this coming. We thought that, okay, he can have another productive year. He was probably going to be able to, you know, maybe reach that eight, 10 touchdown mark. Nobody saw this guy rushing for 19 touchdowns this season, having three more uh, in the receiving game and being as dynamic of a threat for this Tar team as he was. One of the leaders in the country in broken tackles, um, and runs about as hard as anybody in the country. This is the clear answer here. And I'm going to be honest with you. The only reason that he didn't win this award is because he didn't play. Yeah, that's that's what, what most of the people are angry about, which is ridiculous. But you know what? 
He gets it anyways. Javante Williams, your 2020 Player of the Year. So let's go through uh, some of the other fun ones that we threw up there for you guys to be able uh, to vote on. How about uh, Play of the Year for Torrio Football? I put up uh, four of them. I think these were probably the four that most people would look back on. So you had the Javante Williams run over Amari Carter of Miami. You have the Javante Williams run over Tony Davis of Duke. Uh, Daz Newsome. My amazing touchdown catch in the bowl game against the uh, against AM, which that's just where he seems to shine the most when he makes those highlight reel grabs. And then Deami Brown ripping the interception away from the Wake Forest defender for a long reception in that game. What would you go with as a player? The that touch the, the run against Miami will be in the hype video from every for the remainder of time of Carolina football because he trucked through that guy. And I, I think that's when you look back at the siege run by Javante Williams' career at Carolina, that'll be the first thing you think of was him running through defenders at Miami while we were kicking their the, their ass. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think if you go back and you watch it, I think the Duke one is better because he knocks Tony Davis from the five-yard line all the way into the end zone. Now, that poor guy just he – didn't, he didn't mean to be there. He was wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, he got knocked back to Durham when he tried to take on Javante. That was just a, a very bad choice in a game that was a blowout at the time. Yeah. It really wasn't going to do much for you. Um, and, look, that play did not get much respect here. It only got two votes, 3.9% of the vote. That's my play of the year. I, I thought that was the best play of the year, and you did it against a rival. Right. That's what I would go with. But uh, guy, you guys at home, you guys thought Dad's Newsom's catch in the Orange Bowl was the play of the year. Uh, definitely a really great one. Um, I mean, again, that's one of the main things that I'm going to miss about Daz. You got to think, you could put together an entire highlight reel for Daz Newsom based on his bowl catching. He had two ridiculous grabs last year against Temple. And then this one this year, he's just, I mean, th this is just what Daz Newsom does. How about best single game performance of the 2020 season? Uh, you got Sam Howell, of course, versus Wake Forest, 550 yard or 50 yards passing, six passing touchdowns in this game, tied an ACC record. Uh, you've got Michael Carter, 308 yards on the ground against Miami, an extremely productive day for him. And then Deami Brown versus Virginia, 200 receiving yards in this game. But guys, how could you not get a win for Deami against Virginia? He had two unbelievable games. Carolina lost both of them each of the last two years. Yeah, you go, so you go, you go with Sam's performance against Wake Forest because he pretty much put the team on his back and they willed them back to victory. And you don't know if Michael Carter has that performance against Miami had he not done what he did against Wake Forest in, turn, in terms of Sam Howell. That's the best quarterback performance we've ever seen from a Tar Heel quarterback in our lifetime. So I would go with that that performance. I would say I would give Sam the edge there too, as well, just because of how highly it ranked uh, in ACC history. I think you know you look at Michael Carter. I mean, again, just a phenomenal performance, biggest game of the year. That's why I think he has a really, really good argument here. But it wasn't a program record. Derek Fenner ran for 328 yards back in 1986 for Carolina. Um, so I, again, it's a very close margin, and I think. It's exactly what is shown by the fans at home. They went with Sam uh, against Wake Forest, 47.1% uh, of the vote to Michael Carter versus Miami, 45.1. It was one vote that separated the two of them. Deami Brown got four votes, and rightfully so. That was a tremendous performance. Yeah. I mean, he just both years tore up Virginia, but couldn't come away with a win in either one of them. Uh, who knows? I might have been ranked a little bit higher had uh, they been able to win that game. Uh, we're not even going to really discuss this because we talked about this right off the top. Do you consider 2020 a successful year for the Tar Heels? 100% of the 53 responses that we received say yes. Yeah. So no doubt in a lot of people's minds there. Uh, this one, very, very interesting. Uh, which Tar Heel early enrollee do you think can have the biggest impact next year? You can weigh in on this one if you want to. Uh, I know you're not as in tune with college football recruiting. Um, but, I, you know, you look, uh, we'll throw up the fan graphic first, go through some of them. You've got Keyshawn Silver. Uh, he receives 12 votes, so 23.1%. Ra Ra Dilworth was second with 11 votes with 21.2% of the vote, tied with Caleb Hood. This one kind of shocked me a little bit. Uh, but a lot of people with him coming in at running back, there's a lot of opportunity there. Also a legacy, a lot of Toriel fans very excited about his ability uh, from what they've heard from some of the people that were at these camps when they, he was making the transition to running back. 
He gets 11 votes as well, 21.2% of the vote. And then a couple other ones, DeAndre Boykins with three votes. Uh, you got Dontavious Nass, three votes as well. J.J. Jones, three votes. Diego Pounds. Pretty much everybody that I listed, out of all, I listed all 12, everybody but Jabari Ritzy somehow got a vote. How did Jabari Ritzy not get a vote is blowing my mind. Guys just don't have enough respect for a guy that could come in. He's drawn comparisons. Uh, they have it on 24-7 Sports, one that really excites me. They compare him to Jeffrey Simmons, who, of course, plays for the Tennessee Titans, played at Mississippi State. That should really excite a lot of other people, but apparently not. They go with Keyshawn Silver. Do you have a guy that you're really looking forward to seeing? Also, Drake May is in there. That's another guy. Yeah, I'll go with Silver because I'll I'll side with the fans on this one because uh, I wasn't even listening to why you were talking. There you go. Five-star player, so it's definitely a legitimate one. I think Dontavious Nash is very interesting because he's a safety that a lot of people feel like can come in and is college-ready. And he a lot of receivers enroll early. Yeah, you got, you got three of them. You got Gavin Blackwell. Yeah. You've got – which Gavin, I think, makes the most sense. If you're going to look at this group and say, okay, we're going to go with the guy here – Gavin played with Sam in high school. Um, he's a slot receiver as well. So you feel like at this point, it's it's Josh Downs, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. With Togro's leaving, there's an opportunity to be had here. So I think that's probably the guy you're looking at. J.J. Jones can take the tops off the defense. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to sort of remind you of Deami Brown as he gets later on in his career. Kobe Paysauer also coming in. Actually, all three wide receivers are coming in early, so they're all going to have a chance to make an impact. I would say you got to keep an eye on them because Carolina is going to need them to be to, right. to make an impact in the receiving core with you losing Deami Brown, with you losing Daz Newsome. Yeah, Caleb Hood, I think a lot of people are jumping on this bandwagon, and I think that they've got a legitimate case here with all that Carolina's losing. Um, I mean, look, you know, we saw British Brooks look decent in the bowl game. Got to, got to see a little bit of Josh Henderson. Didn't see much of Elijah Green, but unless we're, there's just something not being released, he's going to be a factor in the race this offseason. And remember, DJ Jones also coming back from injury. But it still feels like there's a pretty open door here. So if Caleb Hood can come in and impress, you never really know what he would be able to do. The only thing that stinks is he's coming over. He played quarterback his entire high school career so he's not a guy that's overly familiar with the position I don't think it's going to be that much of a change for him but it's still going to take a little bit of time early on for him to be able to get used to it that's why Robert Gillespie is there he's going to coach him up I think it hurts that they don't have Kamara Edmonds coming in early um, but yeah I think you know when you look at Dontavious Nash is probably the guy that I would go with uh, just flying under the radar um, because I mean look this the, the safety position and, uh, you know, from what I saw at the end of the season, wasn't in great shape. Maybe that's just me. Some people I know really like Trey Morrison. I love Trey Morrison. I thought he was fantastic in the nickel. He had a tremendous freshman season. I don't think safety is the long-term outlook for him. I just don't think he's a good enough tackler uh, in the box. He's not a guy that can help you that much in run defense. Uh, and that was one of the big things that we saw from Carolina as the season went along. You saw the struggles of both him and Don Chapman on the back end being able to help you in the run game. That's something that Carolina is going to have to take a look at. They may even go and look in the transfer portal and see if there's a guy that can maybe help them out immediately now because they feel like their defense is at that spot. But if not, Dontavious Nash is the guy that could slide in there and take that. My ultimate pick, though, I'll go with I'll go with Rara Dilworth. I think you know you look at his skill set. He's a sideline to sideline linebacker. He's a guy that can cover in space. He can get after the quarterback. He's extremely quick. He's drawn those comparisons to Isaiah Simmons, but he fits Jay Bateman's defense about as good as anybody in this class. I think he's going to be a perfect fit there. So I'll go with Rara. As we mentioned, you guys barely go with Keyshawn Silver over Rod Dilworth and Caleb Hood. That was a really interesting one to see the different array of responses there. And then we'll close it out with what was your way too early prediction for the Tar Heels in 2021? A lot of people looking ahead to the Tar Heels schedule already. A pretty navigatable one for the Tar Heels. The toughest test that they're going to have is probably going on the road uh, to Notre Dame. Other ones that may stick out a little bit on the road at Virginia Tech. Uh, you have, you know, that's just a place you've really struggled. You got Miami at home. That's probably the team that you see as the biggest threat to you in the ACC Coastal with the fact that they're returning De'Ara King. Uh, some pretty decent defensive talent as well, although they are going to have some guys that they're going to have to replace, especially their pass rushers. So 
Uh, when you look at that, I mean, look, we'll, we'll go with the fans at home here first. Uh, they have 49.1% of the vote going uh, towards a 10-2 and two record. 11-1 uh, or better, 34% of the vote. A lot of Tar Heel fans very confident that this team can even take a step forward from this year. 9-3, and three, uh, that got 15% of the vote. And one lone person deciding to go 8-4, and four, not quite as optimistic as some of the rest of the fan base. What are you looking at in that range for Carolina? I know you haven't seen the full schedule, but it's nowhere near as daunting as this season was even being set up to be before COVID set it. Uh, I think you're looking 9-3. and three. I'll lean 10-2. and two because I think Carolina will have the best quarterback in the ACC next year, and Sam Howell. He will that, win you a couple games. There's no question. He is better than DJ Uyunglele right now because he has played more than Uyunglele has. Like the, has. Fact that, the fact that Uyunglele in the poll that was ran by Eric McClain was deemed the best quarterback in the ACC returning is mind-blowing to me. Like, That's just Clemson bias. But And so I, and I think – I think you're going to see that happen with Carolina is that you'll win some games and you'll look at the way that he plays as opposed to the opposing quarterback. Even though he's not going to have the 2,000-yard backs in his backfield and the 2,000 receivers and Daz Newsom, number, he's still going to elevate guys around him, which is why it's going to be such an intriguing prospect when he gets in the NFL level because he has that kind of ability to do that. I think he'll win you a game or two you probably shouldn't win, and I think Carolina will scrap their way to 10-2. All right, a couple other questions that we didn't ask the fans, though, before we get out of here. Carolina returning five guys for this season that are coming back for uh, most of them, their sixth year of eligibility, but an extra year of eligibility that wouldn't have been there had they not had the COVID rules in place. You got Bo Corrales, Tamon Fox. Uh, you have Grayson Atkins coming back, the kicker. You have um, Garrett Walston and Tyrone Hopper. Which one of those five do you think will have the biggest impact next year for Carolina? Because I think there's a good case for – Pretty much every one of them. Yeah, I think if Carolina goes 10-2, and two, I think you look at Timon Fox because I think he's got to be a more part of what this defense is doing because he has the talent. He's got to be more consistent. I'll go Bo Corrales because I think he'll be a trusted receiver from Sam Howell, especially when they get inside the red zone and the in the field trick. He'll be a guy that he'll throw the football to to go get it. And I, and I expect him to have a big season as he comes back. See, I think Timon Fox is definitely going to be a guy that Carolina is going to count on as a pass rusher. I feel like that you're going to see some guys that have taken, you know, that that have another year, have an offseason to grow, that'll be able to, you know, help him out. There'll be a little bit more rotation, so Timon won't have to be on the field as much, which may serve him a little bit better. Bo Corrales, definitely a guy that's going to be a big target for Carolina. He's one of the only guys that's really proven. This was a guy that, of course, you know, had over over five uh, over six hundred yards receiving two years ago, uh, or last year, excuse me, before going down with an injury this year after a career game against Florida State. You think he would have been a guy that, similar to Daz Newsom, probably would have gotten a season on track, would have probably finished with over five hundred yards receiving yet again, had another good year. Uh, so definitely a guy that you would expect with both Brown and Newsom gone will have to step up and play a big role uh, as well. But, you know, the other guy that I think when you look at Carolina taking another step forward, they're going to be in some close games. That's just part of it. They're still a team that's growing. This is not a team that's going to be a world beater similar to, you know, Alabama or Clemson. I think Grayson Atkins is a guy that's going to have to take another step forward for Carolina and could be the biggest impact player for this team next year. If he can sort of find his range – be a little more consistent like we saw towards the end of the year, you probably feel confident that Carolina has a kicker that can be a weapon and help you, you know, to avoid having to go for, you know, some of these fourth downs pretty much outside of the 30-yard line. Uh, I think that he's going to be a big guy there, but also don't discount Garrett Walston either. Uh, and then uh, the last thing uh, that we'll talk about is, when you look at the positions that Carolina does have to replace guys at, primarily running back, and wide receiver, which one of those two do you feel like will be more difficult to replace? I think the easy answer is running back, but you do have to remember that you're losing your top two receivers each of the last two years. And a guy in Dad's Newsome that, although you may not realize it, ranks as one of the best wide receivers in program history statistically. Yeah, I think you're going to have a hard time replacing Yami Brown, replacing Dad's Newsome, but the system allows you to be more comfortable replacing that because of the way that you know, Phil Longo puts together his route trees. And you've got a lot of talent in the receiver room. Not saying there's not a lot of talent in the running back room, but you're losing, you know, a historic duo that you've got to find a way to replace. 
And as I said all year long, when Carolina's at their best, they're a run first football team. If they're going to win 10 games, if they're going to take the next step, you've got to find consistent play from the running back groups. So I think that's going to be the position we'll have all of our eyes on when we get to spring ball and when we get to, when we get to fall camp. What are those guys doing it from the running back position? I agree. The offense wasn't nearly as efficient as you would have liked when Carolina wasn't effective running the ball a la Notre Dame, Texas A&M in the Orange yeah. Bowl. Those are the types of games, if you look back, even going back to 2019 on the road at Virginia Tech, when Carolina can't run the ball consistently, they struggle because they're predictable. It, it is what it is. I mean, Sam Howell still has had some really great performances, but Carolina has to be able to run the football to be successful. The other reason and the big reason why I think running back is the position that you go with is experience. You look at the experience of the guys that are at wide receiver. You've got Chaffrey Brown, who had to play a little bit this year. Once Bo Corrales went down with an injury, started a couple of games even. Same thing with Emory Simmons, although he didn't look great in the Orange Bowl game, only had one target in that game. Still a guy that you feel like can be counted on has you know proven that he can get the job done a couple of really nice catches this season uh, for him and you know there's still some other guys back there and then in the slot don't really have to worry too much about that either you feel pretty confident that Josh Downs is going to be able to slide right in there there was so much hype around him last offseason and he looked great uh in the Orange Bowl game was probably Carolina's best receiver in that entire game. Daz Newsome had a pretty successful game as well, but Josh Downs, two touchdown catches in that game, really did a great job throughout the night. So uh, I think that running back is probably the position you're looking at. It also is telling that when you see a lot of these message boards for Carolina that a lot of people are discussing, even just on social media, what's the one position group that they bring up? If they're going to look in the transfer portal, they should probably look at running back. So I think uh, that's definitely the concern, the more concerning of the two. But I think ultimately, I'm not overly concerned about either position. I don't know about you. I, I definitely think there's, you know, there's some unease about running back, but you feel like the fact that our assistant coach of the year is still going to be there. And we've seen, you know, DJ Jones was a four-star running back for a reason. Elijah Green, three-star running back, guy that has a lot of speed. We liked what we saw from both of those in limited moments as well. So I still feel like there's a reason yeah. to be confident that the offense will be fine in 2021. Uh, so that wraps it up for the 2020 season here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It has been a fun one for sure. Uh, one, again, that we did not know if we were going to be able to get completely through. At a time, we didn't even know if we were going to even be able to see it get underway. Carolina, with one of their best seasons in recent memory, even though they finished eight and four, that record doesn't tell just how good of a season it was for the Tar Heels. Of course, we're still going to be here in the offseason. There's a ton of other stuff that we're going to be doing. You won't see Josh as much now that we are in the offseason mode. You won't even see us as much. Be a lot of interviews that will be coming up. We've got some really great guests that are going to be coming on to help us wrap up the 2020 season. Of course, uh, last edition of the podcast, you guys can go back and check that out with Lee Pace. We've got uh, Bill Bender, our friend from the Sporting News, that's going to come on and talk with us as, as well. Those are the ones that are scheduled as of right now. We're going to keep trying to get – uh, some of our our other favorites on as well, as well as some new people to jump on, talk about the Tarios and their potential uh, going forward as well. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we'll have you covered once this team goes into spring ball, which won't be too far around the corner. Believe it or not, it'll be here pretty quick. We'll have the early enrollees coming in uh, here pretty soon. So Carolina, uh, it's going to be a pretty fast moving offseason and there'll probably be a lot of stuff especially with how active the transfer portal has been. Carolina will no doubt probably at least take a look at the transfer portal, uh, as well as some other stuff still on the recruiting trail. The 2021 trail not done just yet. Dre Bly uh, looks like he is still trying to add another cornerback to this class. As of right now, Carolina has only offered one guy since uh, the end of the early signing period, but that's still something to keep an eye on going forward, see if Carolina can potentially add another member of that class. And, of course, the 2022 class is underway. Some guys that are uh, teasing, potentially making some decisions here soon, including big five-star offensive tackle Zach Rice. If any of those guys pop, we'll be covered over on HeelToughBlog.com. Also, uh, make sure that you uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you're a listener, rating and reviewing will help us move up some of those, bo those message boards. And the subscribing is for you so that every edition can go right into your podcasting library. And if you're with us on the Facebook page, that's where you can get all the articles and every edition of the podcast on there as well. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page 
So whenever we premiere a new edition of the podcast, it'll tell you that we're about to premiere a video. You can lock yourself in, pull up the video and watch for however long that episode is on. But again, we want to appreciate, we want to say thank you, uh, express our appreciation for you guys sticking through us, through with us this season. Of course, the last couple of weeks, we haven't been on video. That's because uh, I went through COVID-19, was tested positive for that. Uh, so we wanted to make sure everything was safe. That's why we were rolling with everything over the phone. But and, you know, from now until, you know, the near future here, whenever I do an addition of the podcast with Josh, we will be on camera as long as nothing else gets in the way. Uh, so, again, we want to uh, really express our gratitude to you guys for sticking uh, with us during this season. Even with the transition to video, you guys have made that extremely successful as well. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank uh, Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! <laughs>